Good morning, church. I love watching that uh, offering video. I know that a lot of you get up, go to the bathroom during the offering video or get some coffee or whatever it is you do because you're like, ah, I've seen it before. But here's what we did. We stuck pictures of the Grace Fellowship kids in that video so you would uh, have a reason to watch it. Every time I see the kids, I smile and I think by the time we see them again, we're not even going to recognize them because they've grown and changed so much. It's amazing. Because today, I don't know if you realize this, this marks the one-year anniversary since we last gathered on campus on Sunday morning to meet in, per in person for a Sunday morning worship service. So it has been a while since we've seen those kids. It has been a while since we've seen each other. But good news, March the 28th is only a couple of, day, a couple of weeks away, and we are going to be gathering on campus again, Lord willing. That's the plan, and 9.15 on March the 28th. So if you're old like me and uh, you don't already know this, those, those phones you have, those newfangled smartphone device thingies, they actually have a reminder app so you can remind yourself to come to church on the 28th because it has been so long since you've done it, it's no longer a, a habit or a memory for you. So take out your phone and set a reminder for March the 28th. We're going to be together for worship. Now, today's sermon is basically a reminder. It's my version of the reminder app because because I don't think for most of you, I'm going to say anything you haven't heard before. There's not going to be anything really new. There's not going to be anything any earth shattering. Nothing that you haven't heard before. But I think it's profound. So are you ready? Here it is. This is the foundation of today's message. If you listen to this part, you can like sleep through the rest. Here it is. God wants you to pray. That's going to be the point of today's message. Like I said, nothing new. You've heard it before. God wants you to pray. But here's the thing. Nothing leads to prayer as much as adversity. I think our own histories tell us that. My most fervent prayer times have come during the most crucial times when I felt like there was the most at stake. You know, my... My fervent prayer times, they take place in hospitals, you know, places like police stations or at the scene of an accident or, or you're home alone and then there's a loud creak in the house. <laughs> Suddenly your prayer life comes alive. Or for me, every time UCLA plays USC and I realize it's just going to be prayer, that's, that's the chance that we have. When things are beyond my control, it drives me to my knees, right? Sometimes prayer is literally the only thing you can do about the situation that you're dealing with. The early church learns this lesson over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts. And today we're going to look at one example. We could use many examples, but we're going to look at one example of that from the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles open in the New Testament book of Acts. So um, in your New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. 
It's the fifth book of the New Testament. Uh, and by the way, if you're new to this Bible stuff and you don't kind of know your way around your Bible, that's cool. There is a table of contents right in the front and that will help you get there. But I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 11. And in Acts chapter 11, we're going to pick it up at the very end of the chapter, really beginning in verse 27, just to set the context of what we're going to look at in Acts chapter 12. Here we go. Acts eleven twenty-seven. Now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So they got word there was going to be a famine. The famine hits and it hits hardest in Judea where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is the centerpiece of this young fledgling church that has now been spread out a little bit because of the persecution. But there in Jerusalem, the mother church is going to be in deep, deep trouble. So um, they hear about this problem. And I love this in Acts chapter 11. When you hear about a need and there's something you can do about it, do something about it. That's a pretty simple concept, isn't it? When you hear about a need and there's something you can do about it, do something about it. They did something. They took a collection. They sent an offering. They did what they could to help. The Antioch church sends money, they send supplies, they send help to the people in Jerusalem. These are the people that were hit hardest by the famine that had come. But things are going to go from bad to worse for the Christians in Jerusalem. Pick it up in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. When things are going badly... People tend to look to the government for help and assistance. Herod is the government. Things are going badly. It's a tough time. But the government, in this case, couldn't be trusted. Sometimes the government just makes matters worse. Now I'm going to just be quiet for a second so you can say your amens. Sometimes the government just messes things up. And, and okay, Side note here real quick, and I'll come back. I don't care what your political leaning is. I don't care if you're all the way on the right or all the way on the left or like some of us, uh, most of us probably, somewhere in between. When things get tough in our society, as they have been for us for a while now, the government has an important job to do. But the government is not the answer. The government is not your source of supply, Christians. God is. 
The government doesn't have the power to end famines and plagues and pestilences. God does, right? The government is not your protector. God is. The government doesn't have the solution to life's greatest problems. God does. So, you know, participate in the political process, absolutely. Vote your conscience, of course. Write your congressman, all of that kind of stuff. That's all well and good. But please, don't look to the government to be your savior. There's only one savior, and his name is Jesus. So maybe we should organize fewer rallies and organize more prayer meetings. Maybe we should stop complaining and start praying. Maybe we should stop idolizing politicians and thinking they're going to have the solutions to the real problems of life. And instead, we should turn to the God of the universe and call upon his name and ask him to meet our needs. Just saying. All right. What was I talking about? (laughs) I was talking about Acts chapter 12, right? Acts chapter 12. The church has been scattered due to persecution. Now the famine has hit. James has been put to death. And Peter has been arrested. And he's about to be executed as well. It is Passover week. Um, And so the anniversary of the crucifixion of Jesus is upon them. Why not kill Peter just like he killed Jesus and do it on the anniversary of his crucifixion? That was Herod's plan. Remember, this is Herod. This is the same guy who put John the Baptist to death. This is the same guy who is now, uh, you know, involved in putting Jesus to death. He's now put James to death. And now he's taken Peter captive and Peter is being held waiting Uh, his execution. And Herod had a plan to put Peter to death and there is nothing the church can do about it. They're powerless against the brute force of the government. There is no way to rescue Peter. He's heavily guarded by four squads of soldiers, right? Now, four squads of soldiers. Now, a squad is four soldiers, And probably they were on six-hour shifts, and so he's always being guarded by four soldiers. Two of them are chained to him, one at each wrist. And then one guards the inner gate and one guards the outer gate. So he is well-guarded, well-protected by four squads of soldiers. And there is nothing that the Christians can do about it. You know, sometimes when I am going through a really hard situation or, or better yet, when, when someone I know is going through a hard situation and they share that with me, I'll say something like, you know, um, I will be praying for you. And if there's anything at all I can do, you just let me know. Guys, sometimes, a lot of the times, praying is what you can do. Praying is all that you can do sometimes. So, in this situation, they prayed. Look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. They prayed fervently. When was the last time you prayed fervently? Think about that. 
I mean, when was the last time you just lost it before God? When was the last time you poured out your heart to God? When was the last time you begged God to intervene? When was the last time you prayed fervently? Did you know that we're literally commanded in Scripture to pray that way? Especially when things get tough. Philippians chapter 4, by the way, what a great chapter. But in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, it says this. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, you know what prayer is. You know what thanksgiving is. But a, a supplication is a word we don't use very often. With supplication, we're supposed to pray. What is supplication? Essentially, supplication is begging God. It's falling on your face before God. It is crying out to God. It is realizing that if God doesn't come through, there's nothing that can be done. Supplicating, begging God. We're supposed to do that in situations that are anxiety-producing. In tough situations, when there are things we can't fix... We're supposed to pray fervently. The young church at this moment in Acts chapter 12 is facing an impossible situation. Herod was like Goliath standing before David. And so they prayed. And they prayed fervently. It's a good example for us to follow. Is your situation out of control? Pray. Pray fervently. Are you powerless to change your circumstances? Pray. Pray fervently. Are people dying from a virus in, in crazy numbers? How about we pray and pray fervently? You know, are, are the churches shut down and unable to meet because of the, of the concern about this and the government's uh, regulation? Pray. Pray fervently. I saw a bumper sticker that said, when all else fails, pray. But how about when all else doesn't fail? How about we start praying first? Prayer should be our go-to response right off the bat when things are out of control. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. First of all, Paul writes, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. As Paul begins to pour out his heart to Timothy about what the church should be about, he says, first of all, pray. And pray specifically for people who are in authority. Listen, <laughs> I know, I have no doubt you have a strong opinion about political leaders in our society. I know you have a strong opinion about the governor of California, about the president of the United States, about Congress. And, and you know what? We're no longer just speaking to people in our community, but there are people all around the world who watch this online now. Some of you are in much, much worse political situations than we've ever dreamed of in the United States. Some of you are dealing with corrupt governments. I know that everybody has a strong opinion about those who are in leadership over them. But let me ask you this. When you think of those people, how often do you pray for them? <laughs> and, and maybe more convicting, how often do you give thanks for them? I know that you, you have a strong opinion about your boss. Are you praying for him? Are you giving thanks for him? 
These days, uh, in our culture in the United States, a whole bunch of people have been expressing strong opinions about the police. Do you pray for them? Do you give thanks for them? You, you may be in a, in a situation under the authority of some leader somewhere. Do you pray for them? Do you give thanks for them? Prayer should not be our last resort when things reach a place where there's nothing we could do. Prayer should be our first resort. It should be our first option. But again, you know, I digress. Let's get back to the story of Peter, right? We're in chapter 12. So what is Peter doing while he's awaiting his execution? He knows he's chained up between soldiers. They're guarding him heavily and they're going to take him out and execute him. So what is Peter doing? Well, it's interesting to note, verse 6. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow, but he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Uh, when they had passed, verse 10, the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Wow. He thought it was a dream, right? Because stuff like this doesn't happen. Chains don't just fall off by themselves. Prison gates don't just open up by themselves. Angels don't show up in prison cells. Do they? But after it was all over, after he was safely out of harm's way, it says he came to himself and he realized that God had done a miracle you imagine how exciting that must have been for him to just suddenly come to himself and go, wow, look what God just did. There's nothing to me more exciting than when you see God do something only God can do. Like that's like an invitation to get involved with God. I get so excited when I hear about God moving in someone's heart. I get so excited when I see God do something that only God can do. It's exciting. Right now, um, my wife and I are in the process of shopping for a house. We're trying to buy a house. And, um, you know, we're, we're gonna, we have this area here near the church. And we're looking, trying to figure out where we can live and what we can afford. I don't know if you've heard about this, but the housing market is crazy right now. And right now, the prices are just going up and up and up. And there's multiple bids on every house. There's hardly any inventory. And every time we find something that we love, we're bidding against five or ten other people. And that's kind of how it's working for us right now. But this last week, we really thought we had found the right house. 
house. We really thought we could afford the, the price and everything about it was just right. And uh, we made an offer and there were multiple offers and they came back to everybody and said, listen, everybody make your best and final offer and we're going to accept an offer. And we, we bumped our price up to everything we felt like we could afford and we made the best offer we could possibly make way over asking price. And then we waited and waited and waited. We heard back. They took someone else's offer. That didn't surprise me so much. It didn't even bother me so much. You know what surprised me and you know what bothered me? The offer they took was lower than our offer. Our offer was the highest offer. And still they took a lower offer because they liked the terms better or something. They felt better about it for some reason. They took a lower offer. Now listen, at first I was upset. I was bummed. I was, I was angry really. But then I started realizing you could see God's fingerprints all over this thing. Like in what world does, do people take a, a lower offer? We had prayed, God, you know, please bring us to the house you want us to be in. Put us next to the neighbors you want us to be near. Put us in a place where we can best serve you, where we can be best stewards. Put us in the, in the right place. Protect us from the wrong place. And then we get news that we had the highest offer and still didn't get the house. You know what that tells me? God is working. So I am excited I'm excited because God has shown himself strong. You can't explain what he's doing, but he's doing something. And I'm excited. I can't wait to see what God has in store. I don't know why I get surprised when God steps in like that. I've seen him do it before. That's exactly what I'm always praying for. But somehow I'm still shocked when it happens. Let's pick it up in verse 12. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked on the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the front gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that this was so. They kept saying, it is his angel. In other words, he's, he must be dead. But Peter continued knocking. <laughs> and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Now when the day uh, came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. Th this group, they were just there in a prayer meeting. They were just praying fervently. That's what we read. Begging God, supplicating, please, please deliver Peter. Please return him to us. Please get him out of this situation, this impossible situation. Lord, Herod is so powerful. He's so strong. He's been killing our leaders. Oh God, please deliver him. Please. They had just been praying. In fact, the knock at the door interrupted a prayer meeting. And they were praying specifically for this. But when they found, when they were told that Peter was at the door, they said, that's impossible. So they were praying, 
But obviously, it wouldn't be what you would call praying expectantly. They, they weren't really expecting their prayers to actually be answered. I have to admit, I'm a little bit encouraged by that. Their lack of faith still led to answered prayer. These, these people had, had walked with Jesus. They had watched him perform many miracles. They had seen him die on the cross. They had seen him resurrected. They had received the Holy Spirit. They had already been watching miracles unfold for the first several chapters of the book of Acts. These were people who should have been expectant about miracles and yet they were praying not thinking God would really do anything about it. They didn't pray with absolute confidence. And I want you to notice something. This weak prayer, this prayer of little faith, this prayer with so little confidence, you know what? God answered it anyway. God answered it anyway. And you know why that is? It's because no matter what you've been told, prayer does not have power. God has power. It's, it's because no matter what you've been told, faith does not have power. God has power. You know, the story of David and Goliath is not a story about great courage and military strategy. It's a story about God's power and God's glory. The story of Daniel in the lion's den should not be taken as a story about how to tame lions. It's a story about God's power and God's glory. And Acts chapter 12, where Peter is delivered miraculously, is not a story about faithful prayer. It's a story about God's power and God's glory. And so, so be encouraged, church. Be encouraged, Christian. Your faith may be wavering. You may be praying, going, I don't see how God could ever do this. It doesn't matter. God is not dependent upon the power of your faith or the power of your prayer. You are dependent on the power of your God. Faithful prayer Doubtful prayer. God responds to it all. Because he's God and he loves it when we acknowledge who he is and express our dependence upon him. You know what the most common request is in all of Paul's letter? In all of Paul's letters? It's a request for prayer. He, he says, and let me just, you don't have to turn there. Let me just turn real quick to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 6, that whole section on spiritual warfare, right? And at the end, he, he mentions prayer. And I want to just pick it up in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul knows that we need to be praying. And even Jesus, with all of his power, he made prayer a regular part of his daily lifestyle. In Mark chapter 1, right, everyone is looking for him. And when they finally find him, what is he doing? He's in a quiet place praying. 
In Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, he sends the crowds away. When the crowds are all around him, he sends them away. Why? So that he can get away to a lonely place and pray. In Luke chapter 9, we have the transfiguration. He takes Peter, James, and John, and they go on a prayer retreat. And it's in the context of that prayer retreat that the transfiguration takes place and the glory of Jesus is revealed. In Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane right before the crucifixion. And what is he doing? Good guess. He's praying. This is normal for him. He is the God of the universe. He has all power and still he sets the example for us as a man of prayer. My friends, God intends for prayer to be at the center of your life. And we don't pray just so we can get something from God. He's not a vending machine. And, and we don't pray so that we can inform him about what's going on. Lord, I don't know if you know this, but he's all-knowing. And we don't pray so that we can make God do what we want. God is sovereign. He answers to nobody. And by the way, sometimes his answer is no. We pray because we were created for a relationship with him. And prayer should always be first and foremost relational. It draws us closer to him. It makes us more like him. And it helps us to recognize that our lives were never meant to be about us. Our lives are meant to be about him. Sometimes prayer is all you can do, but always prayer is what you should do. Let me close with this. In 1949, there's a small island off the coast of Scotland called Lewis Island. And living on that island after World War II were two elderly sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. And um, Peggy was 84 years old and blind. Christine was 82 years old and in a wheelchair. They couldn't volunteer to help at VBS. They couldn't do any of the ministries at their church. They couldn't even attend on Sunday mornings. Imagine that, not being able to attend your church on Sunday mornings. But there's something they could do. They could pray. And so what they did is they opened up their home two nights a week for a prayer meeting and just invited anybody in the community who wanted to come and pray. And they prayed specifically that God would bring spiritual awakening to their town. And they, they audaciously wrote a letter and sent it to Duncan Campbell, the great evangelist. And asked him if, they would, if he would come to their little village in this little island and preach. And guess what? He came. And through his preaching, God began a revival that spread all the way across Europe. And it changed eternity for countless people. Now, I've made it a habit to study the history of revival, and I can tell you this with absolute certainty. No two stories of revival are alike, but they all have one thing in common. Before God brings spiritual awakening to a community, he always moves the church in that community to extraordinary prayer. There have been revivals without great preaching. Oh, many of them. 
There have been revivals without proper funding or great planning. There have been revivals that took place in the middle of big cities and others that took place in the countryside. There have been revivals in Presbyterian uh, churches and Methodist churches and Baptist churches and non-denominational churches. There have been uh, revivals with famous people leading them and, and revivals with nobody's leading them, but never in the history of their church has there ever been a revival without the extraordinary prayer of God's people. Now listen, I talk to a lot of people these days who are discouraged and afraid and looking to the future and saying, I just don't see how anything good can happen. Do you know what the world needs? The world needs a fresh dose of the Spirit of God. The world needs revival. So are you concerned about what you see happening in society? Are you concerned about what you see happening in your family? Are you concerned about what you see happening in the world? Do you feel helpless because you lack the power to do anything about it? Well, here is your reminder. You have the power to pray. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do. However much you've been praying, double it. Just this week, however much you've been praying, double it. If you're accustomed to praying in the morning, start praying at night too. If you're a person who just maybe prays before meals, set a specific time during the day that you're going to dedicate to prayer. If you're somebody who's been praying five minutes a day, pray 10. And I'm not giving you a formula for how you're going to get your prayer answered the way you want, but I can promise you this. Whether or not God changes your circumstances, he will change your heart when you meet with him regularly to pray. God's answer to the prayer of those early Christians fueled their faith for the rest of the book of Acts. Prayer is perhaps the command in Scripture that is more often repeated than any and more often ignored by followers of God. You may be small and weak and unimpressive, but your God is not. You hold in your hands the keys to access to the God who changes the world. And more important, you have an invitation from that God to connect with him relationally on a regular basis. How's it going with your prayer life? You've been given the key. Are you going to use that key? Let's become a people of prayer. Oh, Father, as we think about your power, your goodness, your wisdom, your might, and your knowledge. We recognize that we are often powerless to do anything profound, but you are not. And so, God, we call upon you and ask you not only to do great things, but to change our hearts, make us people of prayer, make us people who no longer uh, trivialize prayer and set it aside as something to just be uh, played with, but let us be people who pray fervently. For God, we belong to you. Change our hearts, O God. And through us, change the world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.